First Peter Bible Study Part 1 Who and Whom For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from First Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now notice, we are switching up the format of the audio versions of our Sunday schools. It's going to be a little bit more casual. You can find the PDFs of these Bible studies on verylutheran.biz under the Church Resources tab. But the audio is going to be a little bit more casual so that people don't have to just listen to me regurgitate what I've written down in a Word document. So before we discuss anything about 1 Peter, we have to ask these two questions. I'm sure you can guess them. Who and whom? Who wrote the book and to whom is it written? This is of utmost importance. If somebody claims to be one guy and they are not that guy, they're liars. They are just liars. The practice of pseudepigrapha in the ancient Near East and ancient Greece and stuff is really just a big fat catalog of people lying to you to get you to believe something. So if you see a document that says, hey, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, they better be accurate. Because if it is true that they are an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's a big deal. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ sent the apostles. The word apostle just means one who is sent, a delegate. And in John 14, verses 25 and 26, he says to all of the apostles, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What's that mean? Well, it means that the apostles are the only guys guaranteed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to pass Christian dogma to the church. They're the only ones you can trust for your New Testament. Well, them and the ones they approve. So if God uses somebody else to write Bible, like St. James or the author of Hebrews or St. Luke, it's the apostles that verify it. So when God calls somebody an apostle and you see a writing that says, Hi, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. The proper response is, if it's true, to do whatever they say, to believe whatever they say. The claim of apostolic authority is the claim of infallible truth being delivered unto you. So, now you might be asking, why is the pastor bringing this up? Of course, St. Peter wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Well, yes, the church has always accepted St. Peter's authorship as a matter of fact here, and there are attestations from the church fathers all the way back confirming, yeah, he wrote this. But in recent years, in the past few centuries, uh, there's this discipline that gets invented called higher criticism, where these scholars 
come up with reasons you shouldn't believe what's in your Bible. And a lot of the times they will say, oh, the guy that says he wrote this, that wasn't the actual guy. Moses didn't write the Pentateuch. What are you, stupid? It's four people whose existence I can't confirm to you. Oh, you think Matthew wrote Matthew's gospel? That's precious. The Ebionites wrote Matthew's gospel, or X, Y, or Z wrote Matthew's gospel, and there's clearly a later editor because some of the words don't make sense to us. So with higher criticism and higher critics, it's their task, given by their father the devil, to get you to stop believing your Bible based on idiotic just-so stories. That is higher criticism, and there are few books more assaulted regarding the authorship claimed than First and Second Peter. Now, this is important to them, because if they can show you or argue that St. Peter didn't write First Peter, then our natural response is to say, oh, so it's just some liar making things up. Thus, I can safely ignore the contents of this epistle. They do this according to their mission. So what is their case? What is their so-called evidence that Peter did not write First and Second Peter? Well, we'll focus on First Peter today. The claim is made that St. Peter was an idiot, an uneducated fisherman. So there's no way he could use Koine Greek in the way he does in First Peter. This can't possibly be this stupid man who caught fish for a living. Of course, this is an absurd criticism. It relies on two distinct assumptions. One, St. Peter is an idiot, potentially even illiterate. Maybe he can barely read, but according to the higher critics, no, there's no possible way he could even put quill to parchment. It's just impossible. Too stupid. And B, their other assumption is that he wrote this epistle with no assistance whatsoever. He was in a cell somewhere, whoever wrote this, was probably a monk that just wrote it all by himself because he was a very special boy. So this first assumption that St. Peter was an idiot is completely false. St. Peter uses the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament written in Greek in Acts chapter 2. So he can speak and probably read Koine Greek. He is telling things from memorization, which means he either had to hear it a lot or he had to speak it and read it out loud quite a bit in order to memorize as many passages as St. Peter has memorized. So he's got something of an educated background. Helpful for us, the author of 1 Peter also uses Septuagint translations and renditions of Old Testament verses. He uses the Septuagint translation of Isaiah 53, verse 9, in 1 Peter 2, verse 22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Wow, so this is a guy who knows his Septuagint. He knows his Old Testament from the Greek. He could probably read it. He probably had it memorized. And since the St. Peter of Acts chapter 2 and the St. Peter of 1 Peter both use the Septuagint, that's some consistency in the New Testament. I'm going to say that's probably the same guy. But let's assume for just a moment 
that St. Peter really was at some point a blithering idiot. Somebody who just could not write in Greek whatsoever at some point in his life. Maybe he's just too primitive, right? This epistle is dated at some point after persecutions have ramped up. He's talking about persecutions, and the church being persecuted means that this is probably 20 to 40 years after Pentecost. Because he's writing to churches in Asia Minor who are being persecuted. It has spread. Do you mean to tell me, dear higher critics, that St. Peter was all like, Yeah, so I've been doing ministry for 30 years and I just never learned anything. I didn't learn how to read. I didn't learn how to write. Maybe I did, but I'm not good at it. That's seriously what these people want you to believe. That a man leading a church that is multi-ethnic with a lingua franca of Koine Greek didn't have anything, anything that could possibly change his character or make him more educated or a better writer. No, that's just impossible because he's just a stupid fisherman. That's their contention when they argue against Petrine authorship. Now, as for that assumption that he never had any help, well, 1 Peter 5.12 says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Who was Silvanus? Probably an amanuensis, or a scribe, somebody who helped the apostles to write. And during that time, in the first century AD, the amanuensis was able to editorialize a little bit with the approval of the person dictating whatever letter or book they were giving. So, even if St. Peter was just so bad at communicating and he couldn't read or write in Koine Greek, and even if he could, it's like a five-year-old saying, I had an apple once. Even if that's the case, there is Sylvanus there to help write this epistle. St. Peter had help. He says so. Now another contention raised against Petrine authorship by the higher critics is that St. Peter was dead when this epistle was written. How do they know this? Well, First Peter talks a good bit about persecution and it calls Rome Babylon. Oh my. You see, one critic wrote that Persecution of Christians didn't really get started until 81 AD. And you know, St. Peter would have been dead by then because nobody persecuted Christians ever until then. And you know all that stuff in the Bible that talks about the early church being persecuted? Nah, it's just lies. <laughs> what are they talking about? Christians were persecuted all the time since Pentecost. Since Acts chapter 5, when the Pharisees tell Peter, hey, shut the heck up. Yes, we have always been persecuted. So, St. Peter, writing about that, is perfectly legitimate. And other ancient authors, like Suetonius, bring that up in their biographies of people like Nero, who loved harming Christians. But you see, this assumption that Babylon was just a code word for Rome, 
doesn't make sense given that Jews, Romans, Ethiopians, just about everybody encountered by Christian missionaries in the first century was at some point hostile to them. What is Babylon to the New Testament writers? It's the home of idolatry, the powers which persecute the church. That's Revelation 17. But the higher critics don't want to let the Bible give you definitions of words. Oh no, they like to give the definition of words and then come up with these just-so stories to get you to stop believing your Bible. Now, it's one thing to smack down the higher critics in their case against Peter being the author, but we should make a positive case. The reason number one for believing in Petrine authorship of 1 Peter is self-identification. The author says, hey, I'm the Apostle Peter. Simple enough, right? The epistle doesn't give us any reason to doubt that. He addresses this epistle to a specific group of churches that were familiar with Peter. He assumes that they know who St. Peter is. If St. Peter had long been dead, these churches would not have accepted the canonicity of the epistle. They would go, oh, Peter's writing to us, and that guy's been dead because of the persecutions. What are you talking about? This never would have ended up in the canon. But in addition to that, there's also a matter of orthodoxy. The author does not write anything new. There's the New Testament theology. The New Testament gives us theology, and not that much of it is different from what you can find in the Old Testament. They're very systematic in presenting a case from the Old Testament into the New to show you, yes, this is what God has always intended. But in addition to that, St. Peter does not contradict St. Paul. He doesn't add anything to what St. James would say. He doesn't go off of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, ah, yes, but we forgot this. Unlike the Gnostic letter of Peter to Philip, uh, there's no weird titles given to Jesus like our great illuminator, enlightener, or... or and unlike the fake gospel of Peter, it's not teaching heresy. The uh, so-called gospel of Peter is a docetist document. Docetism teaches that Jesus' body was just an illusion, so he didn't really die on the cross, all that stuff. No, the author of 1 Peter is stringently orthodox, which puts him in the New Testament era, when people weren't trying to say, oh yes, I am this author, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and I'm here to tell you the truth that the rest of the church is rejecting right now. That's what Pseudepigrapha did in the first and second century. They claimed to be someone else to teach you things that are contradictory to the New Testament. This guy doesn't do that, so he's probably St. Peter. Now, finally, there's also the audience. The dispersion. Now, we'll discuss the word dispersion or diaspora later. But he's talking to a dispersion, which means there was a dispersing. People were dispersed from where they were. And so, Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Okay, so there was a scattering of the church. St. Peter writes to a scattered group of Christians. That is consistent with it. 
Now, assuming that this is a later date, probably 67-ish AD that St. Peter wrote this book, in Epiphanius's Panarian and uh, Eusebius's History of the Church, both of them say that when the Jewish War of AD 66 to 70 kicked off, Christians fled. They just left Jerusalem for a place called Pella. They just skipped town. They're like, nope, Jesus says as soon as you see the holy city being surrounded and you see all this stuff going on, you got to get out of there. And so Christians did. That's what we did. There was a further scattering. And who does St. Peter address the churches as in 1 Peter 1 verse 1? The dispersion. So we can summarize the who of this book by saying there's no reasonable argument to be made against Petrine authorship. The academics are just giving you garbage that they made up to get you to not understand this simple truth. St. Peter wrote 1 Peter. Don't listen to somebody who says the guy was too stupid or was already dead. It doesn't make any sense. But now we move on to whom, just as the author is extremely important to understanding the text, so is the audience. First Peter is written to someone, and that matters. You see, his exhortations apply first to the people that the letter is addressed to. Anyone outside of it or not being addressed, they might find healthful counsel or vicarious comfort out of it, but it doesn't really apply to them. The same way a lot of the civic laws and the ceremonial laws in the Mosaic Covenant, they don't apply to us. They were not written to us. We can get wisdom from that. We can get counsel from that. But you don't have to necessarily obey what is there. The best you could say is, well, I hope that just as God said these wonderful things and offered such great comforts to Peter's audience, that he'll do the same for me. But if St. Peter wrote this epistle to all Christians, if it is a Catholic epistle that belongs to everybody in the church, then it's a different story. We're saying that this whole thing is binding on all Christians at all times. The comforts there comfort us. The commands there are to be obeyed. Now, I'll admit my bias here, not just from a theological prior or from what the rest of the scripture says, but also, we got to understand, if you deny that this epistle applies to everybody, it is addressed to everybody in the church, you're looking at moral chaos. Women would not have any requirement to submit to their husbands, and husbands would not have to bear with their wives in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. That's just mere advice at that point, because he's really just commanding a certain special group of people, not us. Even worse... This is especially important in terms of soteriology, because in 1 Peter 1 verse 1, he calls them elect. Now, the cities that he refers to in Asia Minor, uh, what's now called Anatolia in modern-day Turkey, they're almost indisputably Gentile lands, right? The majority of the people in these churches are Gentiles. But he is writing to a group that he calls the Diaspora, which some people would say is exclusively used for Israelites and Jews. So either St. Peter is writing to all Christians and treating them in a way that is consistent with 
the church being the true Israel, or he is addressing only people of Hebrew extraction. Now, certain very silly men, like John Calvin, claim that this is the case. It's just the Hebrews that St. Peter is writing to. So in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, the apostle writes that his audience is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And John Calvin says, yes, this, properly speaking, applies to Jews only. When St. Peter talks about the Gentiles in this, that's just non-Jews. Maybe it was for Jewish Christians, but not Gentile Christians. That's bad. It's really bad to say something like that, that it only applies to a Jewish audience. Not only do you have the moral chaos that arises from a whole bunch of Gentile Christians going, Wee! I can do whatever I want. St. Peter's wrong when it comes to me. It's just advice. The other issue is that it inserts a whole lot of contradictions into the Bible. Like things that St. Peter himself says in Acts chapter 10 verses 34 and 35 where he says, Wow, God does not show partiality. It contradicts St. Paul, who says God does not show partiality in Romans chapter 2, where God teaches us that not all who are Israel are of Israel, meaning it is not the descendants of the flesh that count as Israel. It is about sharing the same faith as the ancient Israelites, the same faith as Abraham. You're looking at soteriological statements like Galatians 3.28 saying anybody can be saved regardless of their race, their sex, their socioeconomic status, etc. We're just taking Galatians 3.28 and throwing it in the trash. Because St. Peter in 1 Peter 1 verse 1 is calling the diaspora elect. So is he saying that it's just the Jewish diaspora that's elect? From 1 Peter 2.9, is he saying that it's just the Jewish diaspora that counts as a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, apparently a master race by divine right? The misinterpretation of 1 Peter 1 verse 1 and other verses which might suggest that St. Peter was writing to Jewish Christians only here, that introduces so many issues and so many problems and contradictions into the text of Scripture that it would make 1 Peter look non-canonical. Thankfully, this is not the case. In 1 Peter 2 verse 10, it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 Peter 1 verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Gentile converts to Christianity were hideously ignorant of salvific truth. They were carried about by their passions. There was a hedonistic culture. Such to the point where St. Peter says, listen, these were futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Something you would not say to a Jewish Christian who inherited so much knowledge from his forefathers about what was coming, the Messiah that was showing up. 
the Old Testament giving so much in terms of commandments against human passions and against idolatry, St. Peter is not telling his audience that Old Testament religion is futile and full of passion, things that carry us away. And when he says in chapter 2, verse 10, that once you were not a people, if St. Peter is really saying that to a diaspora of Jewish Christians, then he's claiming that the Old Testament is just full of lies regarding the Hebrew peoples. God forbid that we should accuse an apostle of Jesus Christ of insulting his own heritage and scriptures in this way. Now, to the contrary, the church is Israel. St. Peter is aware of this, and he treats it seriously in his language. When he speaks to Gentile Christians, he says, you are part of that diaspora. You are part of God's holy Israel. You are part of a universal priesthood which wouldn't exist, by the way, if this letter was just addressed to Jews. There would be no such thing as a universal priesthood of all believers, because, well, no, it would just be a priestly nation, a priestly race, whom you should just declare to be your magisterium or something. Just do what they say instead of listening to what the apostles say or your Christian Gentile pastor. Yeah, St. Peter is not introducing weird absurdities like that. But I digress. This is St. Peter taking Ephesians seriously when it says that the dividing wall has been broken down. This is St. Peter saying, Indeed, God does not show partiality. If you want to be part of God's Israel, then put your faith in Christ. To a believer in God's Israel, the church, indeed, a non-believer is now considered a Gentile. That is important because otherwise St. Peter tells people to have good conduct before the Gentiles. And us being Gentile Christians, we can't read that and go, Haha, I'm a Gentile, so I get to misbehave everywhere. Heaven forbid. No, this is one of the Catholic epistles that applies to everybody and we rejoice on account of that. Next week, we're going to continue our introduction of 1 Peter and have more to celebrate from there while we are also casting down some false assumptions about it. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.